You are now listening to The Model Health Show with Sean Stevenson. For more, visit themodelhealthshow.com. Welcome to The Model Health Show. This is fitness and nutrition expert Sean Stevenson, and I'm so grateful for you tuning in with me today. We now have incredible data demonstrating how our gut health affects our cognitive ability, how our gut health affects our skin, how our gut health affects our immune system, how our gut health affects our cardiovascular system. The list goes on and on and on. There isn't a single cell in our body that isn't affected directly by the health of our gastrointestinal tract. And it just kind of makes sense because this is where our body is interacting with the outside world. It might seem like it's our skin, but truly, if you think about it, we're taking things from the external world and putting it into our bodies, into this tube. And there's this very graceful and delicate interaction taking place where we're interacting with, which hopefully food, but a lot of times it could be food-like products and your body is deciding what it's actually going to do with the nutrients that you bring in. So those nutrients might get funneled to your pinky toe. It might get funneled to your heart or to your spine. You know, it's just this really miraculous process that takes place, but it's all rooted in the interaction between our gut and the rest of our bodies. And there's a myriad of nerve tissue and nerve endings connecting your gut and your brain. Your gut is often referred to as the second brain. You know, it's often referred to as the enteric nervous system. So your gut has just about as many neurotransmitters as your brain and spinal cord itself. You can find many of the same things that are in your nervous system in your gut. So things like serotonin, for example, actually the vast majority of this feel-good dual neurotransmitter slash hormone, most of it is actually located in your gut. We have these enterochromaffin cells that also produce hormones that are residing in our gut as well. Just really, really remarkable stuff. So our endocrine system, our nervous system, our brain, and we've got the big nerve connection that a lot of folks are talking about today, which is the vagus nerve connecting the brain and the gut and this kind of information superhighway and that relationship there. So inherently what you put into your belly is affecting your brain instantaneously. It's happening immediately. So we've got to put some respect on our gut's name, all right? It's super important. So this conversation today is diving in deeper into the gut. And we're talking with one of the foremost experts in the world, award-winning gastroenterologist, about this incredible aspect of human health. And also, we're going to be talking about what comes out the other end, all right? Stuff goes in. And what comes out can actually tell you a tremendous amount about your state of health. So we're going to be talking about the taboo subject of poop today as well. Shout out to Mr. Hanky, the Christmas poop. But this episode is like Christmas as well. We've got lots of gifts to give and things to unpack. So really pumped about this episode. And by the way, one of the foundational nutrients for good gut health, right? So we know about probiotics, for example. Right? These are pro, if you break that word down, it means for life. So these are the, what we consider to be these friendly flora, right? So friendly microbes or our quote gut buddies. If you listen to my friend, Dr. Stephen Gundry, that's what he calls them. 
All right, so beneficial, friendly flora, probiotics. But prior to the probiotics, the precursor is the prebiotics. All right, so we have prebiotics that feed our probiotics. And so if we're not providing our body with the right prebiotics, and this is coming in the form of various types of fibers, then our probiotics are not going to be able to not only sustain themselves and to proliferate, but also to create postbiotics. So we have prebiotics, probiotics, and postbiotics. These are the things that our bacteria, our friendly flora make in us for us. Like, for example, these short-chain fatty acids or SCAFAs that have remarkable roles in determining our cardiovascular health, the integrity of our gut and our gut lining that have anti-inflammatory properties, the list goes on and on. So many important roles that they play. But the precursor to all of it is prebiotics. You're going to find that in a plethora of different plant foods. And so to get an incredible array of prebiotic fibers, I love superfood concentrations. Superfood concentrations of particular vegetable matter and or of different fruit combinations because a variety of fruits have wonderful prebiotics as well. So for me, one of my favorite things has an inclusion of acai, blueberry, and even beets. Why do I love these three things? Well, acai has one of the highest ORAC values of any food ever discovered. So it has an ORAC value of 103,000. To give you some context, that's like 10 times the amount of antioxidants that you'll find in the average fruit in your produce aisle. The Journal of Agriculture and Food Chemistry found that acai actually raises participants' antioxidant levels, specifically demonstrating how it's effectively absorbed through our gut. All right, shout out to acai. And also researchers at the University of Michigan published data finding that blueberry intake can potentially affect our genes that control the burning of stored body fat. Pretty remarkable there. The initiation starts in the gut. And another study published in the Journal of Applied Physiology found that beets can potentially increase our stamina by 16% during exercise. And the folks who they were examining, the test participants, even experienced less muscle damage and less fatigue post-exercise. All right, so three remarkable superfoods, and they all have this reddish hue, reddish purple hue. And it's indicating a certain fiber type, certain antioxidant types, and certain prebiotics. So I get these combined in the red juice formula from Organifi. Go to Organifi.com forward slash model. You get 20% off their incredible red juice formula that kids love, by the way, as well. There's no crazy added sugars or anything of the like. This is a dramatic upgrade on the Kool-Aid that I used to drink growing up. So go to Organifi.com forward slash model. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com forward slash model. You get 20% off. And that red juice is it's good. It's just super good. Kid tested, mother and father approved. And on that note, let's get to the Apple Podcast Review of the Week. Another five-star review titled Inspiring the Lives of Others by T-Man866995. Hey, Sean, I could go on all day thanking you for the passion you put into your craft and truly helping to model the way we need to be living. The information you've put in both books and every single podcast for years, I will add, is transcending the health and wellness world. 
I try and communicate all the valuable details you provide weekly with my clients. You're a great role model for all ages of people. So keep up the fantastic work, brother. Much love. Much love to you as well. Thank you so much for taking the time to leave that review over on Apple Podcasts. Incredibly powerful. And I appreciate you so much. And on that note, let's get to our special guest and topic of the day. Our guest today is Will Bolsowitz, MD. And he's a New York Times bestselling author of the book Fiber Fueled. He's also an award-winning gastroenterologist, gut health expert, and author of more than 20 peer-reviewed articles in the top American gastroenterology journals. He's a graduate of Georgetown University School of Medicine and was chief medical resident at Northwestern Memorial Hospital and chief gastroenterology fellow at the University of North Carolina Hospitals. He lives in Charleston, South Carolina with his wife and kids, and he flew out here to hang out with me in the Model Health Show home base studio in LA. And this is one of my favorite conversations. Let's jump into this remarkable interview with Dr. Will Bolsowitz. You're an award-winning gastroenterologist, researcher, published researcher, and New York Times bestselling author, by the way. And there's a big movement that's taking place and it really revolves around your world, which is the world of gut health. Yeah. Just to really kick things off for this conversation, what for you is the big reason why people need to focus on getting their gut healthy today? There's a revolution taking place in science. It's happening literally as we speak. Every single month, there's new scientific articles that are coming out that will blow your mind. They blow my mind. And I'm a scientist. Like I'm a, I'm a guy who's been sitting in the world of science since the 90s. So, um, and the the power that exists within the gut is insane and this is why it becomes so important for us to first of all learn about it and use that information that we learn to empower ourselves mm. with the right information because then we can tap into this potential where this community of invisible microorganisms they are as alive as you and I are Sean right and they have personalities just like you and I do. And they got clicks. They got certain friends they like to hang out with. And they got different skills. Like there's things that you do really well that I do not. And they got different dietary preferences. Mm. And we embrace those things. But we have to acknowledge that they're there. And when we feed them, when we fuel them, when we empower them through our diet and lifestyle, then they become more successful at doing their job. Their job is human health. They're touching on digestion, which is access to nutrients. Like this is, what's more life-giving than that, right? Like we can't live without nutrition, without access to nutrients. But beyond that, our immune system, our metabolism, our hormones, our mood, our brain health, cognition, even the expression of our genetic code, these microbes, they're flipping switches. They're in control of these different things. And there's so much that we could talk about in terms of like different directions that we could go with it. But the point though, is that it really starts for the listeners of seeing like, whoa, this is powerful stuff. And this is real. The most important thing for human health is not even human. And let's use this information that we can gather from today's episode, from other episodes that you and I have done, from other episodes that you've done with other people. And let's empower that knowledge so that we can optimize our health. 
Yeah, I love it. I love it. And of course, you know, we'll put your past appearances on the show in the show notes. But I think it's important every opportunity that we get for you, because this is one of the things that really brings it all to life. Can you give us a little a snapshot of what's happening in our gut, like the different classifications of microbes that are living in us? I believe there's five. Mm -hmm. And also just how, how much I know we have human cells, but how many bacteria live in our bodies? Yeah. So it, it, let's, let's start with this. We love to talk about human evolution and how we built up to who we are in 2022. And I'm like as interested as anyone in these topics, but you can't have a conversation about human evolution and not talk about these microbes. From the very beginning, they were a part of this process with us. Go back, whoever that first human was three plus million years ago, they had a gut microbiome. They weren't a sterile creature. They had a gut microbiome. They had a microbiome of their skin, their nose, their mouth, and women in the vagina. Like all these different places, there are microbes that are teeming, covering us. My thumb right here, there's literally as many microbes right here on my thumb. I mean, I can't see them. But there's as many microbes as there are people in the UK, like literally right here, right? And the most concentrated place is inside our colon, which is our large intestine. This is where you will find the vast majority of these bugs, 38 trillion, mm. which is a number that's very hard for us to fathom. Like, how do we wrap our mind around 38 trillion microbes? So let me do the best that I can here. We take our galaxy and there's 100 billion stars in the sky. It's a lot of stars. Let's compact that down. And I would have to put a hundred galaxies full of stars. And even then, I'm not meeting the number of microbes that live inside of you, inside of me, and inside of every single listener here today. That's how many there are. And they're made up of, you mentioned five different classes of microbes. So the most of them are bacteria. Now it's time for us to sort of refresh or reboot our um, understanding of bacteria. Because we grew to really vilify them. And that's because the only bacteria that we really knew up until recently, the only ones that we understood are the ones that are trying to hurt us. Yeah. But the vast majority of these bacteria that live inside of us, they're, they're actually our friends. And, you know, we talk about evolution. We rose and we fell together, right? So when we live, they live. And because of that, we grew to really trust these microbes with specific jobs um, that, we can, that we can talk about more in a moment. But bacteria, like, yeah, there's E. coli, Shigella, Salmonella, but there's also a whole bunch of good guys in there. And the good guys outnumber the bad guys. And that's the way that we want it to be because the good guys can keep the bad guys in check. And that's a, that's a body in balance. Now, we also have other types of microbes. Before you get to, to the next category, yeah. even with what we deem to be bad bacteria, everything has a role, you know? Totally. And this is, and you just mentioned that ratio. But going back, I think it was really impressed upon us when the germ theory of disease hit. And it was just like, these things that we can't see are all bad and we need to kill all of them. Right. Yeah. And so then we get to practices today where it's just really about targeting and killing stuff haphazardly when we can also be damaging our healthy bacteria too. Thank you. This is actually a huge and very important point. So there's a historical context to this. I'm, you and I are both in our 40s. I'm turning into my dad. I'm becoming a history nerd. Right now I'm reading uh, a book about the Civil War. In the Civil War, people weren't just dying from gunshot wounds. 
they were getting gunshot wounds and then infections. And that's what they would die from. Like Stonewall Jackson, that's what he died from. He died from an infection, right? So, but we didn't understand that. We didn't know. But a lot of the soldiers, when they would get hit, they would say, don't take me to the hospital. Mm. Because all mm. they knew was that going to the hospital meant you were more likely to get sick and then die. And so they didn't understand it. At that time, they really thought that there was like the theory, the prevailing theory, again, this is less than 200 years ago, was something that's quite fascinating called miasma, M-I-A-S-M-A. And I don't even know how to describe this other than it's almost a supernatural thing. It's like, ooh, like you walk by, walk by a swamp at night, mm-hmm. you know, and it's dark out and there's this mist and there's a smell yeah. and you're like, dang, man, I don't, that's not good over there, is it? That's what miasma was. There's these weird pictures that you can Google on the internet. Bad air. Bad air. That's back in the days of Uhtred of Bevanbear. And and bad air is killing people, yeah. Right. So, But it's right around that time that Louis Pasteur is in in France. And he's starting to study and he discovers this concept of these microbes, right? And it was actually through fermentation that he was studying. So, And this, this transforms our understanding of human health. And all of a sudden, the light bulb goes off and it comes into clarity and we realize the top causes of death in 1900 were all infections. Heart disease was not one of the top three causes of death, right? The top three were all infections. And the most radical, most important uh, event to take place in the history of human medicine was the discovery of penicillin. World War II we discover a way to stop these infections in their tracks using a pill. Can you imagine how seductive that would be to a doctor in 1945, right? And so now we start doubling, tripling, quadrupling down. And by the way, this is an explanation for modern healthcare too. Like not just the vilification of these microbes, but this is how we got to empower the pharmaceutical industry so much is that we started doubling, tripling, quadrupling down on this idea that pills can fix our problems. We lost track of the basics. Like, what do you eat? Are you exercising? The environment. Did you get a good night's rest? What's your environment? How about stress? How are you feeling? Right? So we completely lost sight of that. We, We built our healthcare system around pills and procedures because it was so seductive. And we empowered those industries, and now it's hard to take that back. And a war on bacteria. And we had a war on bacteria. And a war on bacteria to the point that if you look with the development of new antibiotics that was taking place in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, um, they actually, there was someone who was the Secretary of Health in the United States who said the war on bacteria is over. Well, that was a pretty short-sighted comment. (laughs) And, you know, it goes to show you how little we know in an individual moment, how we can think we're so right, but yet we're actually wrong. Because the war on bacteria actually was going to go on in perpetuity. These bacteria will always be there. Yeah. And um, so we started looking for ways to basically destroy them. And this is more than medicine. This is our food supply. Mm. Right? This is our water. And I'm not going so far as to say, uh, this is an environment in our home. Right? This is what we put on our skin when we shower. I'm not going so far as to say that these things are bad. Again, I don't want to go back to a time where my life expectancy is cut short by infections, right? But there is such a thing as a pendulum and the pendulum can swing too far. And that's what has happened. And yes, there is the overutilization of antibiotics, 
And people at home need to know that antibiotics aren't just targeting the bad guys. Antibiotics are dropping bombs. Like they're dropping bombs in the gut microbiome and they're just decimating it. And it's hard for us to recover after that because basically we've destroyed part of our gut. Um, but even going beyond the antibiotics, I mean, think about our food supply. So food is meant to have a life cycle. This is the way that it works. If we call it a plant, you know, that plant starts off as a seed and it germinates and it sprouts and it rises up from the soil and it grows towards the sun and it matures and eventually it reaches a point of maturity that a guy like you and I might come along and be like, oh, look at that tasty cabbage. I think I want to eat that. But if we don't, it continues to mature to a point that it no longer is edible, starts to break down, it decomposes. We've missed our window of opportunity to eat it. We may call it rotten. That's kind of a derogatory term. We don't have to call it that because what's happening is this is the life cycle of food and it's decomposing and it's going to turn back into soil. And that soil is going to enrich the next generation of seeds that are ready to sprout and grow. This is the circle of life. Food is meant to decompose. So what are we talking about with something that sits on the shelf for two years and is exactly the same as the day that you produced it? What's the deal with that? Well, here's the issue. Preservatives, like we call them preservatives, and I would call them antimicrobials. Mm. Because it's the, it's the microbes that are part of this life cycle. And they break down the food. So how is it that you can have like cold cuts that sit in that refrigerator for a year and you cut off a couple slices every couple days? And how is it that you can have crackers that sit in that bag and they're just as fresh and tasty? Not to mention a Twinkie that can last, <laughs> you know, a hundred years. I mean, we haven't even experimented to find out yet, but you know, it's incredibly abnormal. And how about those experiments where someone grabs a McDonald's burger and- like Oh, the fries. What about the fries growing yeah. up? You know, we've, it was three kids. So like we would randomly find a, a French fry in like a couch cushion or somewhere in the car, like from, and it looks like the day that it was bought, you know, and it could have been there for a year. Yeah. You know? <laughs> That's crazy, man. Right. And, crazy. and, but you know, there's a reason why this is happening is that we have retarded the microbes, mm. right? So we're disrupting that normal life cycle. And the way that you disrupt it is by basically keeping the microbes away. So then what happens when you take that and put it into your body? And the problem is we don't know. And I'm not here to, first of all, like, I'm not here to pretend that I don't eat processed foods. I do. I do my best to reduce them. But I am here to talk to the American public where the average American's diet is 60% ultra-processed foods. Nice. And look at the health problems that we have in this country where we are the biggest spenders per capita on healthcare in the world, by far. By far. By far. Like literally number two is less than half of the United States. And yet, if you look at our life expectancy, as rich as we are and as much money as we spend on healthcare, we're like number 43 in the world in life expectancy. Countries like Costa Rica, which are third world countries, and they spend like, you know, 10% uh, of what we do on healthcare per person, they're living as long as we are. Crazy. Yeah, something's not adding up. Something's not adding up. So, you know, and this is this is the point going back to what you were kind of getting at, which is that um, 
There's good microbes, there's bad microbes. But many of the things that we are choosing in our society, they're just smashing both of them. And that's not a good thing. Yeah. And so, so yeah, so bacteria, that's number one. Yeah. And by the way, I just love that you mentioned that pendulum as well, because we're not here to vilify either side. You know, if you think about the context of, you know, one of the issues today that actually kills a lot of people still as, as of this recording, unfortunately, is water, you know, drinking water that's contaminated with nefarious organisms, right? You know, so we have that as an occurrence. And then we, on the other end, we have utilizing a very strong antibiotic in the form of chlorine in amounts that might be unsafe for your microbiome right. as a way to quote, clean the water. Right. So I don't want, of course, to drink contaminated water that can make you sick, but at the other side, I don't want you drinking something that can also make you sick, but it might have more of a, you know, um, a, a long-term drip effect, to use a pun with the water, yeah. of damaging you. you know? So where's that graceful spot in the middle where we have a respect for the structure of water itself, the, the, the state of, because even, and as, as I'm talking about this, I'm thinking about humans evolved drinking water yeah. that, that was alive, right. you know, that would have exposure to what would probably be more beneficial microbes, but they were coming from springs. Humans would set up civilization, you know, spots, tribe, you know, our tribes where the water was, you know, coming out. Sure. And That's today- That's why we feel much, so much more comfortable and it's, this, is, this is innate in us. We can't yeah. change this. But this is why we feel so much more comfortable living close to water. Yeah. It's a vibe. It's, yeah. a, it's a vibe. But it's today, of course, we could basically get water anywhere delivered or we'll drill down into an aquifer or whatever the case might be. We've got all these wonderful inventions to clean water, right. which is great. So again, it's that pendulum. We've got everything on the spectrum is an option. But at the end of the day, we have to come with a place of balance. And this, again, is what I really love about your work is taking all these things into consideration, not vilifying any of it. And like, let's find a place to bring everybody together. And so we got bacteria. And then the next one would be. So the next one would be the yeasts or the fungi. So, um, you know, people have heard of candida. So candida lives inside of all of us. It's there. Now, candida can get out of balance, get out of control in a person who has a damaged gut. Um, but when our gut is in balance, again, the good guys suppress the bad guys. And so we don't need to worry about that in the vast majority of cases. Um, so that would be the candida. Now the third one, I think my favorite, it's the archaea. Now the archaea, they're not bacteria, they're not fungi, they're somewhere in between. And the earliest life that we're aware of on Mother Earth are archaea. We believe that they are the first thing that showed up about four and a half billion years ago. Again, humans, three million years. Four and a half billion years ago. That's, you know, that's more than a thousand times more history than us humans. And uh, that actually predates oxygen by billions mm. of years. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Which is crazy. They were there when there's no oxygen. So I can assure you that no matter what happens to us humans, I'm pretty sure the archaea will be around. Facts. They're very uh, resilient. And you will find them in some interesting places. You could find them inside of a volcano. You could find them in the bottom, like miles deep in the ocean in a rift vent. And they're potentially inside your colon right now, hanging out. Wow. And um, so they're, and they're very interesting creatures. They're gas producing. 
So some people who have archaea will experience gas and bloating. Now, this is not to vilify them because the flip side is that we also have evidence that suggests that archaea protect us from heart disease. So you could create plans to attack archaea because you have gas and bloating, but could that be a mistake because it would then increase your risk of the number one cause of death in the United States, heart disease? Mm. These, are, these are questions that we have to grapple with. But at the end of the day, I, I tend to believe, and I think it comes back to uh, the important point that you made, Sean, is that I, I tend to believe that the solution is not destruction. The solution is building up. Let's be builders, right? Let's not be wrecking balls. Let's be builders. Let's make something. And that's, that's what my approach to gut health is all about. So now the last two, number four, are the parasites. There are many types of parasites, actually. Um, some of them are actually good for us. Some of them are actually great for our metabolism, believe it or not. So like blastocystis hominis, we actually have research. Uh, there's a, a company that I'm involved with called Zoe. We're a personalized nutrition company. And we do microbiome, uh, continuous glucose monitor, lipids, and people enter into an app what they're eating. And thousands and thousands, like we have 10,000 people now who have done this. They all do these tests. And then we can put it into supercomputers. And they can run complex algorithms and identify personalized trends of how to optimize our metabolic health, to control our blood sugar, to control our lipids, to reduce our risk of heart disease, and to help us lose weight if we need to do that. It's pretty cool stuff. So anyway, one of the things that we found is that this blastocystis, it's a parasite. It's actually great for our metabolism. And I am a proud blastocystis donor. <laughs> I know from my testing, I, I got a, I got a buddy downstairs, a blastocystist who's my buddy taking care of me. That's, that's something I would have never thought you would say today. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. You know, so, when I think about, as soon as you said, uh, parasites, I thought about these relationships that you see even in the ocean, you know, with these certain fish hanging on to sharks and, you know, kind of having their you know, um, th their traveling is conducted that way. There's this great show on uh, Disney Plus, National Ge Geographic show with Will Smith, right? See, now this is how I know that you're a dad in his 40s, man. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> you got Disney Plus. When, even when you said that about becoming your dad and yeah. like watching some Civil War stuff, last night I was sitting there watching the the story of MC Hammer's dancers <laughs> oh. and their background and their history and like how they grew up and wanting to be a soul trained like I'm fascinated with history of stuff right MC now. Hammer is fantastic <laughs> and his rise in Oakland was a great story I want to know too about like the in living color dancers yeah J Lo yeah. was one right J Lo was an in living color dancer so. One of them, actually, I had, that was queued up for the next watch was Josie. She was a living, living color dancer. That's what I was going to watch next. But then my wife and I started talking and she was kind of talking shit about the fact that I'm watching these history, you know, reports basically on all these different things. It's just so fascinating, you know. And also, I think it's, I'll, I'll tell you this, I haven't really articulated it, but I love to see, I love to pick up what worked for, for people and to find out what didn't work. Yeah. You know, and also to to with every great story consistently, there are challenges and opposition that take place throughout the way. And I think it's a human connective tissue thing 
when we hear these stories of resilience and we we understand that we're not alone in our struggles. Yeah. You know, so it's totally just, agree. yeah, I think that's kind of why I'm really more tuned into it now as yeah. well. Yeah. Nice. Um, so awesome. Yeah. And, and I think like speaking to that, you know, these success stories, one of the challenges that we have is that there is no one size fits all. Right. That we are unique individuals. That speaking again to the gut microbiome, there are 8 billion people on this planet. And there is no other Sean Stevenson when it comes to the gut microbiome. It's a fingerprint, even better than a fingerprint. And it is completely uniquely yours. Now, let's pretend that you have an identical twin who grew up in the same place as you. You would only share about 35% of the same microbes. And let's pretend that the identical twin literally lives at home with you and eats the same food that you do. Can he be an evil twin? He's an evil twin. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this, this uh, lucky gentleman who gets to hang out with you all day, who also is, is evil, uh, we could feed you guys the exact same food. You would still have different responses, right? And what do we do when uh, we have a clinical trial, which we all love? Right? We all love these clinical trials, but there's a problem because at the end of the day, you are not average. I am not average and neither are the people listening to us right now. And I'm not saying that in an inspirational way, although I do like that inspirational element, but like I'm saying more like you can't expect that you're always going to fall into the average of what everyone gets. You're going to have your own response to everything. And so when we do a clinical trial, let's pretend, Sean, for a moment that we're comparing plant-based to keto. All right, now I'm not trying to pick any fights with anyone who's watching this show. I'm all about inclusion and I want people to feel very comfortable with me. All right, but let's pretend that we do plant-based versus keto and the goal is weight loss. And in this trial, we go, oh, okay. On plant-based diet, the average person lost four pounds. And on the ketogenic diet, they lost three pounds. So we're going to make the plant-based diet the winner. We declare this the winner. Okay, what do you say to the person who gained five pounds on a plant-based diet, mm. right? Are they supposed to feel good about the fact that the average person lost four pounds on a plant-based diet and they gained five? What do you say to the person who lost 20 pounds on the ketogenic diet? Mm. Right. It's not good for them. So, you know, there's this personalized element to it and it comes back to the gut microbiome. And I'm excited about the future of personalized nutrition because this is how we move beyond averages and tap into our unique biology to ultimately figure out how to use this information. There is so much information in our poop, okay? Like, to put this into context, you asked me in the beginning, how, like, how, what do people need to know in terms of cells and stuff like this? All right, literally, you are less than 50% human. And if we only look at the cells that I consider to be like from biology class, true cells, like they have a nucleus and an endoplasmic reticulum and Golgi complex. We look at that, you are 10% human. 90% of your cells are coming from these microbes. And if we look at you from a genetic code perspective, the human genetic code is shockingly simple. And it makes up a very, very small part of our actual information less than 1%. 99.5% of our genetic code comes from these microbes. So the amount of information that exists in a bowel movement 
I mean, look, you're just going to turn and flush it down the toilet, but pay it some respect, <laughs> right? Because this, it was, Sean, it was to the point that there's so much information that the computers of the 90s could not handle this amount of information. And it took us until 2005 or 2006 to have computers and laboratory techniques that allowed us to understand the gut microbiome. That's when we started to break through on the stuff for the first time. And a lot of that has to do with the overwhelming amount of information where 99.5% of our genetic code can be identified in a bowel movement. So uh, it's, just, um, it's just insane. And it really makes you come at this with humility. Because 20 years ago, we're just flushing the toilet. Get that crap out of here. And now scientists are fighting over fecoliths. Like it's like a Jurassic Park thing where, you know, they tap into the amber and they get the mosquito DNA. Now scientists are fighting over caveman poop and who gets to have ownership of the information that exists in caveman poop, <laughs> right? Like they're fighting over they're it. Fighting over shit. Oh, dude, I'm telling you, this stuff <laughs> is worth like millions of dollars. You, you stumble, you step <laughs> in a caveman poop. If you step in a caveman poop, save it. Because it is worth a lot of money. <laughs> Dang. Oh my God. That's crazy. So powerful. Since we're on the topic of poop though, let's let's stay here for a moment. Let's go. What what kind of information can our poop tell us about our health? This is such an important topic. Because we have stigmatized talking about poop. And that's an un unfortunate thing. Because to me, this tells us just as much about your health as your blood pressure your heart rate, like your ability to run a mile, right? This tells me just as much information because if we're saying that gut health is so important, and again, like I'm here telling you that these 38 trillion microbes are critically important for digestion, our immune system, our metabolism, our hormones, our brain and mood and our genetic expression. So if it's that important, what is our window into understanding this? And it's literally the bowel movement that you just dropped in the toilet. And so what can we, what can we kind of learn from this? Well, here's where I would start. Your, your body thrives on rhythm. It's like your heart. Like, dude, you're a good athlete, man. All right. I'm quite sure that you could give me a decent time in running a mile. And I know you can lift some heavy weight. But if I flip your heart into an abnormal heart rhythm, I can assure you, you won't be able to walk up a flight of stairs. That's how much your heart requires rhythm. So what happens when our gut is out of rhythm? Mm. We suffer. A, a gut that's in rhythm is just effortless. You are enjoying your food. You're having good, regular, complete, and dare I say it, because it's real, satisfying bowel movements, right? They feel good. And you whip that door open, and you walk out in slow motion and the entire world knows, dang, man, that dude must have dropped some bombs in there. <laughs> I'm, right? I'm a visual person. I'm picturing the whole thing. Doves flying, <laughs> right? Doves flying in slow motion. And it's just like, yo, Dr. B is in the house right now. So anyway, but in all seriousness, the flip side, and these are the people that I've taken care of my entire career. These are people who are suffering. And they're suffering from a loss of rhythm mm. of their gut. Their gut is out of rhythm. How does that manifest? 
Well, now this is not just effortless. This is a struggle. Eating food is a struggle. They suffer with symptoms, gas, bloating, discomfort, cramping, diarrhea, constipation. Their bowel movements are a struggle. They're not rhythmic. They're not effortless. In fact, they can be very challenging, very difficult, require great effort, be uncomfortable, not be satisfying, feel incomplete, right? And these are the experiences, like for the people who are at home, if this is resonating with you, I'm talking to you right now. This is what you can experience in a bowel movement, in, a, in, in the bathroom, behind a closed door. That's an insight that your gut is not where it needs to be. And we need to get it back on track, get you back to those effortless bowel movements, get you back to those satisfying bowel movements. So um, I really think that this is an important thing to look at. Now, one of the biggest misconceptions that is just flat out dead wrong is that people think that it's all about how often you go. Hmm. Does that matter? Yes, it does. But that's not the only thing. You can only take so much from that. Let me put it this way. If you tell me, hey, doc, it's been seven days since I've had a bowel movement. Okay, you're constipated. I know what the problem is. I don't need any more information, right? But you could poop every day and be constipated. You could poop five times a day and be constipated. You could be literally having explosive watery diarrhea and be constipated. So let me walk through these for a moment because I think this is important. Like there is an epidemic of constipation out there. And these people, let me describe the constipated person so that the people at home can see if this sort of resonates or fits with them because they're wondering what's going on with their body. The constipated person suffers, number one, with gas and bloating. They all have gas and bloating. It is the number one symptom in constipation. And they may have discomfort, and that discomfort could be any of a number of places. It could be lower, but it could be upper abdominal pain. It could be right across the top. It could be around your belly button. It could radiate to your back. It could feel like your gallbladder. It's a number of different places. Um, you get uh, nausea in many cases, like a mild nausea. You're not literally throwing up. You lose your appetite, like food's not appealing to you anymore. Fatigue, like tons of fatigue. This is a common symptom of constipation. So if this is you, like gas bloating and some of this other stuff, you got to listen up because you could be pooping every day and still be constipated. And this person, they when they go, I will say to them, okay, cool. So you're pooping every day, but do you really feel like you completely emptied your bottom when you go? You know, Dr. B, oh my gosh, you're right. Like I, they feel like it's not complete, right? Or take the person who has four bowel movements a day. They go, doc, I'm not constipated. I'm having four bowel movements a day. Come on, man. I'm not paying you money for this. Hold on. When you go, is it like you're straining to just have a little chicken nugget? And they go, yeah, it's just like a, it's like a little thing. It's not very satisfying. And then I have to go again 30 minutes later. You are not completely evacuating. And when you are not completely evacuating, you are backing up. And when you back up and that compound interest starts to add up, you know, you might drop 70% of it out, but 30% is sticking. That 30% after a couple days is going to add up and affect you. And that's how you manifest the symptoms of constipation. Now, the last thing I want to talk about real quick, because I think this is very important, is that there are people who have diarrhea. And th these people, typically, they suffer with chronic constipation. Like, 
they're like, yeah, I've always had constipation. Then all of a sudden, boom, I had diarrhea one day and now I'm having diarrhea, like going watery bowel movements eight times a day. What's going on there? So what's happening is they have a column of solid stool that is backing up and it's impacted and it's not moving. And the only thing they can get through the cracks and the crevices is the liquid. So the liquid comes down to the bottom and our rectum is not designed to hold liquid. So you feel urgency and you rush to the restroom and you have a loose watery bowel movement. And you go to your doctor and you say to your doctor, I'm having watery stool. And they say, take a modium. And it slows down, you know, it's an anti-diarrheal. And it slows you down and actually your problem gets worse. This is a person who has what we call overflow diarrhea. I've seen it a bazillion times. These people are so frustrated because nothing is working to fix their diarrhea. And the solution is paradoxical. You got to run it out. You actually have to make yourself poop more like drinking a bottle of magnesium citrate to get a couple good, healthy evacuations and get your body back on track. So going back to the question, Sean, there's so much information that we can gather from our poop, from the rhythm, how often we go, from the experience, like how satisfying, is it a complete evacuation? And from the appearance of the bowel movement, like is it sausage shaped? Is it soft but formed? Or is it a pile of mush? Or on the flip side, is it like hard and with like cracks and crevices and that's a constipation bowel movement. So all this information is stuff that I'm trying to integrate and all of it is giving me a window into what's going on with my patient's gut. Mm. This is so powerful, so powerful. And just to be able to, you know, turn around and have a peek at what you're producing, you know, can provide you with so much information about what your body needs. You know, like take that's, a peek, take yeah. a peek at that little poop. The power <laughs> of poop. Ah, that's powerful. Got a quick break coming up. We'll be right back. Few people know that regularly drinking coffee has been shown to help prevent cognitive decline and reduce the risk of developing Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease. This attribute referenced in the journal Practical Neurology is yet another reason why intelligent coffee consumption makes the list of best neuronutritious beverages. Another study featured in the journal Psychopharmacology uncovered that drinking coffee has some remarkable benefits on mental performance. The researchers found that intelligent coffee intake leads to improvements in alertness, improved reaction times, and enhanced performance on cognitive vigilance tasks and tasks that involve deep concentration. Now, why am I stressing intelligent coffee intake? This means acknowledging the true U-shaped curve of benefits and not going ham on caffeine. The data clearly shows that some coffee, a cup or two a day, and the accompanying caffeine is a great adjunct for improved mental performance. But going too far starts to lead to diminishing returns. So we wanna make sure that we're getting an optimal intake of coffee. And again, not going overboard. But also, coffee is best when it's not coming along with pesticides, herbicides, rodenticides, fungicides, these chemical elements are clinically proven to destroy our microbiome terrain. So destroying the very microbiome that helps to regulate our metabolism, regulate our immune system, the list goes on and on. Obviously, we wanna make sure that those things are not coming along 
with the high quality coffee that we're trying to get these benefits from? And also, what if we can up-level the longevity and neurological benefits of the coffee by combining it with another clinically proven nutrient source? Well, that's what I do every day when I have the organic coffee combined with the dual extracted medicinal mushrooms from Four Sigmatic. And if we're talking about optimal cognitive performance and the health of our brain, the protection of our brain, there are a few nutrient sources like lion's mane medicinal mushroom that pack these kind of benefits. Researchers at the University of Malaya found that lion's mane has neuroprotective effects, literally being able to help to defend the brain against even traumatic brain injuries. It just makes the brain more healthy and robust. So again, this combination of medicinal mushrooms plus organic high quality coffee is a match made in nutrient heaven. Go to foursigmatic.com forward slash model. That's F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C.com forward slash model to get 10% off their incredible mushroom elixirs, mushroom hot cocos, and mushroom coffees. Again, that's foursigmatic.com forward slash model. And now back to the show. Uh, we've got bacteria, we've got fungi, we've got archaea, we've got parasites. And last but not least are the viruses. So now the viruses actually are not technically alive. Many people don't realize that, but viruses are, they, they can be, you know, pieces of RNA or DNA, but they're not, you know, they're not cellular. They don't require energy. They just infect our own cells. In this case, though, the viruses are actually a very healthy component of maintaining the balance of our gut. There's something that y'all are going to hear about more in the next couple of years called bacteriophages. And these bacteriophages are, are viruses that help to shape the gut microbiome. And I'm starting to see now for the first time that this is starting to get into the supplement industry, that people are selling products that like they'll sell bacteriophages. Now, this is not me endorsing this approach yet. I will like celebrate when we have good studies that show us that it's a good approach. But until we know more, we have to, I feel like we always should be a little bit cautious right, right. when we do things so you're like that. you're talking about essentially bacteria that are infected by viruses. Yeah, well, these, so these, these phages, these bacteriophages, they're, they're viruses that will actually take out, like they will like suppress microbes, reduce them, or like allow them to, to um, become uh, more powerful. So it's not necessarily infecting and getting into the virus, but it's more just like shaping. It's like, a, it's like two hands shaping a piece of clay, right? So the clay's there, that's the microbiome, all these different microbes, these four different types. And now here's these two hands coming from the outside and shaping it and molding it. Yeah. So but guess even, what? We have hands too. We can, we yeah. can do that through diet and lifestyle. <laughs> right. When, whenever I hear that molding, of course, I think of Ghost, you know, Demi Moore and- Swayze, man. Shout out to Swayze. Swayze. So, but you know, when we, again, when we have tunnel vision on something, because from my education, you know, going to a traditional university, which you barely hear any of this stuff, but when we think about, when we, when we talk about viruses and that they can infect bacteria, and we start to think of the size of viruses, like a bacteria cell can have a thousand virus particles in it, you mm -hmm. know, and it's pretty remarkable, but it's a, it's a mode of information transfer mm -hmm. you know and that's, that's right. the thing that's missed out when you just see is oh this is bad or you know but there have actually been several instances that we are becoming aware of where there's 
a benefit. There's a there's an evolutionary adaptation because of a virus and its association with a bacteria. Um, so this brings in a very interesting and, and important point up, Sean, which is the idea of challenging our body as humans, right? Exercise is a challenge to our body. If you decide that you want to become a marathon runner, like go out, you, you've, you've got your eyes on a marathon that you're going to run 26.2 miles. Obviously, you're not going to wake up and just do that. You have to train, right? And you go through a process where you build up to that. And in that process, your legs grow stronger. They become more efficient at dealing with the oxygen and reducing the lactic acid. Your heart changes. The, literally, the chambers of your heart get bigger. And they become more efficient at squeezing blood. This is why your heart rate goes down when you're not exercising. And your lungs actually expand and become more efficient at dealing with oxygen. Your body adapts to the challenge that you've just created, right? But is that easy? Is training for a marathon easy? Do you guys have fun running 15 miles out there? Heck no, right? You are putting your body to the test so that you can grow stronger. And the same is true with so much of what we're talking about here. Exposure to a virus of any variety, this is speaking very broadly, non-specifically, but exposure to a virus, it can be a challenge that can overwhelm some people, right? But the vast majority of the time, exposure to a virus is a challenge that's actually good for us. Because just like exercise, we emerge on the other side where our body has adapted to it and it's grown stronger as a result of that. And this is the conceptual framework that we can apply to our gut microbiome as well. You know, just to, to parallel that point, because even with training for, for example, in Ironman, which my friend Jesse Isler is doing right now, um, but training for that, it can be a process where you have a little bit more exposure each day. So you right. don't notice it as much. Yes. Certain viruses can be like, you go from one day never running, you know, five miles to doing an Ironman. And that's quite a jump and you, to, you can do it. But the adjustment might be more of a struggle That's so true. versus the daily exercise, a light work for our immune system when we interact with our environment, when we interact with other people. Mm. Because as we're sitting here together, our immune systems are tethering back and forth. They're, they're playing a little bit of a, you know, a tennis match here and sharing information. We're sh we can't help but share data as we're going back and forth that is going to better equip us as we interact with the rest of society. That's so you know? true. And so when we take that away, whether it's, you know, even with pets, for example, just being able to interact with other species, with other humans, it's all training. It's like getting a workout for our immune system that oftentimes we don't realize is happening. But if you pull that away and then you get hit with something that's a bit stronger, it can be more of a struggle to ad adapt. And anytime you talk about the immune system, you have to include the gut microbiome because the gut microbiome is in direct communication with the immune system literally right now. Those 38 trillion microbes are sitting opposed from 70% of the immune system where the only thing that separates them, 38 trillion on one side and 70% of the immune system on the other side, the only thing that separates them is a single layer of cells. And they are constantly talking to one another. Anytime the immune system is out of whack, if you look at the gut microbiome, it will be out of whack. Anytime the gut microbiome is out of whack, you should expect that the immune system will fall out of whack. And this, this analogy or this sort of scenario that, that you're describing, you know, we've seen this throughout human history, right? 
when uh, people moved into a new space, for example, Europeans would show up and come into contact with, with the natives of a land. Those natives would like basically fall victim to severe infections and many of them would die because they'd never been exposed to that before, right? So now flip side, fast forward to some new research that's emerging with the gut microbiome. And if we look at our partners, okay? So you look at your spouse. We share microbes with our spouse to the point that you actually share more microbes. You have a brother. I have two brothers too. We share more microbes with our spouse than we do with our own siblings, even though we came from the same parents and we have a similar genetic code. We share microbes with our spouse. Now, here's the part that I really love. They looked at this and they discovered that not everyone was sharing microbes with their spouse on the same level. Some were doing it more so than others. So what separated the two? And when they looked under the hood and like unpacked this a little bit, they discovered that the people who were in a loving, optimistic relationship with their spouse were sharing more microbes. The people who felt distant and separated from their spouse were sharing less. Mm -hmm. Now, is that like an expression of our sexuality? Is that just us touching one another in love? Um, or is this just mother nature celebrating that we have love for another human being, right? And therefore mm -hmm. our gut microbiome is more healthy. I don't know and who cares? Because at the end of the day, when you have love for other humans that you share space with, you both benefit. And that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And it's a beautiful thing, the work that you're doing and sharing these powerful insights with everybody because right now it's a time where we need more of this. We need more empowerment, education in a way that makes sense. I mean, everybody poops, you know, everybody poops. And it's one of those things where, you know, unfortunately it's taboo and we don't understand that we can get some valuable feedback about how our bodies are working by paying attention to the simple things. And so you've got another resource for us that as of this recording is now available. The Fiber Fueled Cookbook is out there on store shelves. And of course you can pick it up on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all that good stuff as well. You're giving us the recipes, the deliciousness, so that we can start to provide our, our bacteria, you know, our remarkable, powerful microbiome with the, the raw materials that we need to be as healthy as possible. Yeah, man. So I, um, I'm very proud of my first book, Fiber Fueled. It was like a passion project. I didn't know what was going to happen. But here we are two years later and 200,000 people have bought and read this book. That is a dream come true, right? Because as a medical doctor, my dream, my wish has always just been quite simply to like have a positive impact in people's lives. And it starts in the clinic, but then it can grow into an Instagram account and then a book and then, you know, a collaborative thing with this company, Zoe, where I'm now the US medical director. So, but anyway, Fiber Fuels, like to me, that book was why you should care about gut health. Like, let me shine a light. Y'all need to open your eyes and see this science that is revolutionizing the way we look at the human body. We discovered a new organ. Like, that's crazy. And this new organ is so important. And it's not even human. Um, but 
my new book, The Fiber Fields Cookbook, I just want you all to know, yes, it is a cookbook, but this has something for everyone. And I embrace that personalized element for every single one of us. No matter who you are, no matter how you like to eat, I don't care whether you're vegan or plant-based or paleo or keto or whatever it may be. I want to bring you into my tents. I want you to come and celebrate with me. And I want you to have a healthy gut. And this book is what's given you the tools in your own unique way to accomplish that. So if you have a healthy gut, like you're not having any food intolerances, 125 recipes designed to crank up your plant diversity. Every single recipe says this many plant points. Plant points is my game that I play with my own kids. Who can get the most plant points at this meal, right? To get more diversity in our diet. But if you have food intolerances, I actually teach people how to fix their food intolerances. I have two protocols, low FODMAP and low histamine. So that like literally, yeah, it can be complicated. But like literally just eat these recipes. You'll be good to go. Do that for two weeks and see how you feel. And you tell me if you feel better. If you're not eating fermented food, there's new research showing that fermented food can transform our gut health in a number of weeks. So if you're not eating fermented food, you should be. And in this book, I will teach you how to make your own ferments at home. And if you're not sprouting, you should be sprouting. We talked about how the seed germinates, right? And that's a special process. And you can have a garden on your kitchen countertop of the most nourishing, nutritious food out there. And what's beautiful about it is it's not expensive, it's non-perishable, and it's completely organic. And it's as fresh as can be. It's not hard to do. And I teach you in the book how to do that. So the Fiber Fields Cookbook is out. And, um, and for those of you who are interested in grabbing it, the only thing I will say is that grab it wherever you want to, but in your community, there are mom and pop bookshops that like these are your neighbors and they deserve your business. So it's worth taking the drive down to their spot and grabbing the book there if you can. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I echo that. And you just said something that I don't want to glance over because it's become another epidemic that's not being talked about, which is food intolerances have never been like this in any form or fashion. And one of the things you, you posted a message about this on Instagram, I think it was on Twitter as well, and you posted it on IG and you were like, essentially any food, there's a threshold that you hit where you can develop an intolerance to that food. Yep. And it just makes sense because through our evolution, diversity was a primary tenant, yep. right? And so if we're going ham on just ham, <laughs> like you're probably gonna run into, your, your body's gonna be like, you know what? I'm, I'm good with this. I need other things. You're missing things. And it's right. a driver towards behavior change. And so one of the things I really love about your work and about a cookbook like this is the diversity yeah. that becomes apparent for us. And, and, and also, of course, learning how to use certain foods that we might not be getting access to on a regular basis. Yeah, that's very true. And I, and I think that you know one of my important messages and what I describe in this book is I actually teach people the step-by-step -step methods to heal food intolerances. And this is very important because we can run away from food. We can be seeing food monsters out there and we can be living in fear. But fear of your food is the first step towards having disordered eating, right? And I'm not talking about like big diagnoses like anorexia and bulimia, that's a different. I'm just talking about food is meant to be enjoyed. And when it's causing us angst, 
then we're not where we need to be and we need to repair that relationship. And so I want to help people do that. And that's really a big part of what this book is about. I teach you the entire step-by-step method and how to actually fix those issues. Awesome. Well, man, you're one of my favorite people in this space. And, you know, it's just remarkable to see what you're doing. And, you know, if you can, can you let everybody know what you're about to say something? There's one more thing that I need to say before we close this out. All right. First of all, I love you so much too, my brother. And um, when I knew I was coming out to LA, like as soon as I knew, I jumped on the Nike.com website. This is not a plug and I am not endorsed (laughs) by Nike. All right. I jumped on the Nike.com website and I was like, I need to be so fresh. Like cool, like cool in the gang, fresh, fresh, <laughs> exciting. And let's so go. Let's go. I don't know if we can zoom the cameras in on these sneakers right here, boy. but these are custom, these are custom Nike uh, 77s and um, I made them specially. And you know what, what might happen off air, you guys, is that I may be pulling off because I think we're probably a similar shoe size. I'm a 12. So I might be pulling Loving these suckers you. off and walking out of here in my socks and signing these for Sean Stevenson. <laughs> and when you see Let's him go. in a future episode wearing those green Nike 77s, you know, I you know put, where he got I'm going to put those in, in a box and sell them on eBay, bro, for <laughs> oh, sure. Oh, you son of a gun. <laughs> Listen, man, you know, again, you're one of my favorite people in this space. And I know what it takes. You know, you're seeing patients and creating these books and these resources. It's a lot, man. And also being a dad and a husband and finding the grace in all those things. And I know it takes work and effort, but it's beautiful when it all starts to have this synergy. And so I see you and I appreciate you. And can you let everybody know where they can follow you on social? One of the best social media accounts for sure to follow. And also again, drop the name of the new cookbook. All right, cool. So yeah, so y'all can find me on Instagram and on Facebook as the Gut Health MD. If you try to track me down on Twitter, Unless you like fantasy football, you're not going to get what you're coming for because <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not posting anything on Twitter other than I follow some fantasy football accounts. That's about it. But um, And then my website is theplantfedgut.com. Go there. I got an email list that y'all will love. I mean, basically what I do is like when there's a hot new study that just came out, I mean, dude, there's this new study that came out with melanoma research and they're using, it came out in December, they're using immunotherapy to treat melanoma. And Sean, they discovered that people who are on a high fiber diet improve their survival with melanoma by taking this therapy. And it's through the gut microbiome. Mm. And so every five grams of fiber translates into a 30% increased survival. Think about that. Imagine that you're the person with melanoma. All you gotta do is crank up your fiber by some grams and you can like radically change your likelihood of surviving. That's insane, Yeah. right? So anyway, um, on my email, uh, on my email list on theplantfedgut.com. I like to like new study comes out. Look, Instagram, it's hard for me to talk about nuanced science on there. So let me like give you the full breakdown to my email list. So check me out there. And um, if y'all check out my new book, The Fiber Fields Cookbook, it is out now. This is the toolkit for gut health, no matter who you are, just come into it, make it your own, do it your own way. I don't care how you make the adjustments to the recipes. You want to throw whatever in there, just do it. And, um, and I hope you enjoy it, you know, share it to your social tag me, let me know. It's always a pleasure. Boom. Dr. Will Bolsowitz, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning into the show today. I hope you got a lot of value out of this. This is one to share. Make sure to share this out with your friends and family. You could send this directly from the podcast app that you're listening on. And of course, this is a great one to take a screenshot of the episode and tag me and tag Dr. B 
on Instagram. He's at the Gut Health MD. All right, tag him and let him know what you thought about this episode. Let everybody know what you thought about this episode. I appreciate you so much for tuning in. Again, share this out, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and let's get folks educated and empowered. That's what this is really all about. You've got some epic shows coming your way very, very soon. So make sure to stay tuned. Take care. Have an amazing day. I'll talk with you soon. And for more after the show, make sure to head over to themodelhealthshow.com. That's where you can find all of the show notes. You can find transcriptions, videos for each episode. And if you got a comment, you can leave me a comment there as well. And please make sure to head over to iTunes and leave us a rating to let everybody know that the show is awesome. And I appreciate that so much. And take care. I promise to keep giving you more powerful, empowering, great content to help you transform your life. Thanks for tuning in.